Hello, I'm Pastor Phil Mentor. I'm the lead pastor of Harvest Worship Center. On behalf of myself and our congregation at Harvest Worship Center, we would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. This is a podcast of our Sunday morning celebrations that take place every week at 10.30 a.m. We would like to invite you to come and join us in person sometime. We are located at 456 4th Street in Tryon, Georgia. We now pray that you are blessed by the Word of God today. Thank you again, and we hope you will enjoy this week's message. If you would like more information about Harvest, please visit us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website at tryonhwc.com. But I'm going to continue a series I had just gotten started uh, when we had all of this happen and, and things kind of shut down. And so during that time, I didn't feel a need to continue it. I felt like God was telling me to put this series on hold, but it's the revival series that I started. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the glory returning to his church, the glory of God. What is the glory of God and, and how the Lord wants to to return his glory to where it matters. And so we're going to look into the Old Testament today to find some, some examples of that in the nation of Israel. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of setup here. I'm not going to read a, uh, I'd have to read a ton of scripture, but I'm going to give you the references so you can go back, hopefully, uh, if you haven't read 1 Chronicles 13 uh, and uh, in the Second Samuel, really, chapters 4, 5, and 6, uh, and into chapter 7 or some, this story is... Uh, all through that, but I'm just going to pick some highlights to read to you today. But I want to share with you the overall story uh, about what had happened to the nation of Israel, what I feel like God wants to do to his church in this hour. Um, I believe that if we're not careful, the church can fall into a state of having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Thereof. We can look the part, but not have the power to back up what we claim. And I believe God is moving us into a time and a season in the church where he wants to empower us to do this great work that he has laid ahead of us like never before. I believe for the times that we live in, we need fresh manna. We need fresh anointing, amen, from the Holy Spirit to reach our friends, our neighbors, and those around us. And so uh, to, today, if you want to look along with me, you can turn to... Uh, to uh, First Chronicles, and you can kind of peruse those when I get to those, but I'll be reading out of the 13th through the 15th chapter, just kind of scattered, and then Second Samuel chapter 6, 12 through 15 is where we're going to anchor today. But again, the story of King David. David, uh, as we know, was a, he's a fascinating character in the Bible. He came out of being a shepherd to a king. Um, David is the one who, uh, by the power of the Lord, was able to slay Goliath. Out of David's house would come the lineage of Christ. And so we see uh, much in David. David was a worshiper of God. He wrote psalms and spiritual songs to the Lord. David was preaching about grace 2,000 years or thousands of years really before grace ever showed up. Before Jesus came on the scene, David was talking about the grace of the Lord throughout the book of Psalms. But as uh, David also, we know, was a man and David had failure. And, and immediately, the, uh, what failure do we think about? Uh, we think about uh, his adulterous affair. That's what we first think about when we think of David. You say, where, where did David fail? Bathsheba. That comes around. Uh, and we go to that, that particular failure in David's walk with God. But you realize David had many failures with God because he was a man. 
And just like you and I have many failures with God, we, we, we fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of, of pleasing Him at times. How many of you, uh, you did everything right this week and you lived a perfect life? I'm going to put my hand down because I can't do that either. Um, no, we all have fallen short of that glory, of that standard that the Lord expects called holiness in our life. And we all seek to be better people. Amen. We all want to be better people. And I'll tell you like I did the first service. Um, I have done eight weeks without amen. So I'll keep going. So whether I get them or not. So, uh, you know, I couldn't get, get Jacob to amen me too much. He's behind the camera. I'm just kidding. Um, but again, um, you know, we, we are, you know, as we look at the life of David, there's many things we can draw from that. The story of King David brings us, uh, bringing the Ark of the Covenant is where we're going to focus. The Ark of the Covenant it was an unusual thing. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, if you look into the book of Hebrews, was built as a type of things that were seen in heaven. It's, it, it was kind of a miniature, you know, uh, of what uh, is actually in heaven. And the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat described the throne room of God or the throne of God. And the priest would come in once a year on the Day of, Apon- of Atonement, sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. And there's a lot more to that we don't have time to go into where uh, that's more of a Bible study, not a preaching message. But he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and the sins of Israel would be forgiven uh, through the sprinkling of the blood of a lamb. And so uh, the Ark of the Covenant was important to the children of Israel. There were things within the Ark of the Covenant that were historical to them, things that were uh, carried from the exodus of the, uh, into uh, what now is the, the uh, promised land uh, that they're dwelling in. Some of those things was uh, Aaron's rod. Another thing was uh, there was a, a vessel of manna in, that, in, in there. Uh, there. There was the, the fragments or the pieces of the Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. And so it was a very, very important thing. The Ark of the Covenant was very powerful in the sense of not the covenant, or the, the Ark itself or the piece of furniture itself, but what it represented, which was the glory and the majesty and the power of God in Israel. Israel would carry the Ark into battle and armies would be defeated uh, because the Ark went before them or the glory of the Lord went before the armies of God. And I think a lot of times, every time if you read in history, Israel messed up was when the glory did not go before them. They tried to go themselves and in their own might and in their own strength. How many times in our own walk with God have we tried to go in our own strength to accomplish what we feel like would be pleasing to God and we've fallen short of it and we, and we wonder where is God and God says, well, I'm back here because you left me in, in, in the rearview mirror instead of putting me in the front and allowing me to lead you, you and you follow, you want me to follow your plan. I want you to know, church, if we're going to succeed for God in this hour, we have to follow his plan and not our plan. David uh, inherited a kingdom that had really ignored that they had lost the ark. Because if you read these chapters uh, in in, uh, 1 Chronicles, you will find out during the reign of Saul, the ark was stolen. The ark was taken by a group of people called the Philistines. Maybe you know who they were, maybe you don't. But they were some bad dudes. They were bad people. They were not good people at all. The Philistines were an enemy. They were a, 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 a ruthless enemy of the children of Israel and, the, and an enemy of God himself. Out of, out of the Philistines came Goliath. He was a Philistine. And if you remember the story when, when all the armies of Israel are hiding and Goliath is, is mocking their God and he is mocking Saul and he is marking, uh, mocking the armies of the Lord and they're in hiding. Here David comes bringing lunch to his brothers. 
And here he is, a shepherd, not a soldier. And he goes, you know, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that is making a mockery of our God, making a mockery of, of all of us. Who does he think he is? This riled up in a righteous anger within David. And we get the story of David and Goliath, a very powerful story. Now David has went from shepherd to king. I want you to get there. From shepherd, from worshiping God in the fields, and the only audience he had was a bunch of sheep. Amen. And ready? Anybody up for a bad joke on on this Sunday morning? You're gonna get one anyway. He's playing his harp. If he hit a wrong note on the harp, the sheep would go, "That's bad." So anyway, <laughs> see if you're there. See if you're alive. Okay. All right. Bad joke Sunday. That's what. That's the last one. I promise. No more bad jokes this month. But what is he saying to us? He's he's saying, "Look, I've God has raised me up from shepherd, and I've been anointed to be the king. And now Saul is gone, and now David is king, and David has inherited a kingdom without the ark or without the glory or the symbol of the glory of God upon them. And all of a sudden, uh, the Bible says that where they had forgotten it, they remember it." Now, I want to read just a little bit of historical context to, for you, uh, and, and just bear with me. Before looking at the two attempts at bringing the ark to Jerusalem, we need to consider one of the worst days in Israel's history. When the ark was captured, the account is found in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Like I said, you need to read uh, 1 Samuel. It is powerful. It describes the wicked sons of Eli taking the ark into battle against the Philistines, attempting to use the ark like a good luck charm to secure their victory. I think there's a lot of times if we're not careful we try to carry Jesus into our struggles as a good luck charm instead of Lord of all and King of Kings he needs to be Lord Amen, he's not your good luck charm I want you to hear me this morning he is not a good luck charm I don't get saved so I can just go to heaven I get saved so that I can be a son that I can be a daughter, that I can be adopted into the family of God and I can rule in, or, or I can be under his rule and his reign and his glory can be in my life. But in, in the account is found they kept, they took it as a good luck charm. Do you realize Israel lost in that one battle 30,000 men? Perished in that one battle. 30,000 men perished and the ark was captured and taken by the Philistines into their country. And when this beloved prophet uh, Eli hears of his son's death in the battle, uh, uh, and, and in, the, in this battle that 30,000 had perished along with his sons and that the ark of the covenant had been taken with it, with, the, with these deaths, the Bible says he has a heart attack and he dies. You're talking about a bad day. Then all of a sudden, Eli's pregnant daughter-in-law goes into labor and she dies in childbirth. In recognition of this tragic event, this child's name is, is, is called Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed. I want you to know the church can go on being the church without God's glory if it wants to. But as for me, who wants to say with me this morning, we got to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. we got to have God's presence. We can do church. We can go through the motions. We can say amen at the right moments. We can raise our hands on cue. We can clap when we're supposed to. And we can miss the glory of the Lord in our lives because it's not about the motions of religion. It is about the relationship with the one who is the glory giver. Amen? And that is God himself. The Philistines, the Philistines kept the ark for a short period of time, but in every city where the ark was taken, they would get sick and develop tumors. I want you to think about that. Every city, it was for them, it, was, it, it, it cursed them. Everywhere they brought the ark, in any city in, within their country, the people got sick with tumors or got sick and died. 
It was horrible. They wanted to get rid of it. They need to unload this thing. Why? Because I've got news for you. God doesn't play games. God doesn't play games. Finally, the Philistines returned the ark to Israel and where it remained. In other words, that's a whole story. They, they send it on an ox cart and, uh, you know, and it ends up being uh, at a man's house for 20 years. I want you to think about that. For 20 years, it stays in Abinadad's house and the Lord blesses him. Amen. Then the Bible says that the people under Saul's reign, uh, they did not inquire about the ark. They knew the ark was missing, but they didn't really ask about it. They didn't say, where's the ark? They didn't even inquire where it was. But when David became king and defeats the Philistine, uh, as record in, in 1 Chronicles 12 and in 2 Samuel 5, he holds a meeting and discusses the return of the ark. And everyone agrees it's a great idea. So they plan an elaborate celebration inviting people from all over Israel to join this elaborate party. Now I'm going to talk about the two attempts to bring the ark or bring the glory of God back to a fallen nation. All right, under, under Saul, the nation of Israel had fallen into sin. They had fallen into wrong. But, but now David has become the king redeemer. Come on, think about it. And all of a sudden, David's saying, wait a minute, we can't go no further. We need the glory of the Lord here. But there's something here at work, and I'm going to talk to you. There was two attempts to bring the ark back. One would be successful. One was an utter failure. All right, one was a failure. In other words, the very first attempt that David notices, he, he finds and he inquires where the ark is and he finds it in this man's house. He says, this, this home has been blessed because of the ark, the glory of God is in it. How many of you want your family blessed? You want your home blessed? Come on, I don't care if you're in this room or at home today. How many wants their home and their family blessed? You can't have your home and your family blessed unless the glory of God is in it. Amen. And we're going to talk about how the glory of God gets in it in just a moment. In other words, David decides, he has a meeting, he says, okay, we're going to get the ark back. So, you know, David has been successful as a military leader, but he has yet to prove himself as a political leader. Amen? He has yet to prove himself as a political leader. So David is seeking to show that he can lead the people politically as well as in battle. Okay, how many knows history plays out even in our own nation that not every general has made a great president? Okay, if you know history, you'll know that, our, that, that it testifies not every great general was great at leading the nation politically. And so all of a sudden, David's like, I've got to prove myself. So he gets together. It's a great idea. Let's get the glory of God back. How many's ever said, I, I've got to get some changes in my life? I gotta change some things. I gotta get my act together. I gotta, you know, I need God's presence in my life. If you're not saying it today, there'll come a time in your life where you'll be desperate for God's presence. You'll be desperate for His presence. You'll be desperate for His glory to be in your life. It may be a child that's went astray. It may be a problem in your life. It may be a bondage of an addiction or it may be financial ruin. Something's gonna draw you into the presence of this living God and you're gonna want Him like you've never wanted him before. Well, the Bible says that, that, that David has this great plan, and so they, they, he says, okay, what we got to do is we're going to have a great party, we're going to have a great celebration. Thousands show up. Those who have political clout show up. David dresses up in, you know, he's, he's the king, so I imagine he had on his best, best outfit, don't you think? He had on his, his, I got a brand new suit for you today, it's blue. So, you know, he, he dresses up, he gets ready, and he looks like a king. He looks like a king. He's walking like a king. He's showing, I am the king. And except there's one problem. 
David failed to consult God about how to bring the glory back. And so they build a brand new cart and they're going to carry the ark back to Israel the way that it showed up. So they get a brand new cart and they start to carry it and there's a problem. All of a sudden the cart begins to tumble and a good man, a good man by the name of Ezra, reaches up and does what? Tries to steady the ark. That's a good deed. You don't want the glory of God to hit the ground, do you? Some of y'all do. I'm just kidding. But he steadies the ark. And as he steadies the ark, the wrath of God is kindled. And this man is struck dead. And he dies. And the Bible says that David was angry. He didn't understand what this was about. Uh, This event was a tragic thing. In other words, all of a sudden David realizes, I want you to get the picture here. There's a great parade going on. There's a party going on. David's out here, hey, glad you could make it. You know, being the politician. And all of a sudden, the cart begins to tumble and Uzzah dies. And all of a sudden, David suffers a horrible embarrassment. The party ends when people die. The party's over when all of a sudden something like that happens. And and I can imagine the fear that came upon people. And and all of a sudden David says, we're just going to stop where we're at. Don't move it another inch. Keep it right there. And and what you don't understand is, though David failed, David was a man that was after God's own heart. And he would not allow his failure to define him. He would not allow his failure to be the last statement of his life. I'm here to tell you there's too many people that are allowing failure to define who they are Instead of saying, okay, I failed, I got to own it, but it will not own me. I'm going to rise above this with God's help, and he's going to use it in my life. So the Bible says that David stopped the procession. He stopped, and for three months, David learned about the blessings of God upon the, uh, and, 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 or studied what should happen. In other words, he goes on his successful second attempt to bring the ark into, into Jerusalem, reveals seven, or several important principles to carry, uh, that need to, we need to carry in our life if we want the glory of God. The ark represented the power and the glory and the presence of God. David was a man, as I've said, after God's own heart, but he had made a foolish mistake regarding God's glory. He thought God's glory could be carried by, um, like, like the world carried it. He thought that God's glory could be on the shoulders or borne by oxen in a cart instead of carried by what it was intended to be carried by. And I'm going to share in just a moment what it should be. Number one, one thing we need to learn today, one thing we need to learn, one principle is that David learned to submit to the Scripture. He learned to submit to the Word of God. In other words, the first principle of carrying this glory of God back into, its, into, into our presence and us feeling God's presence like we want to is beginning to realize that God overcomes our failures when we submit to His Word, when we begin to consult His Word in our life. I believe David went back to the palace broken that day. How about you? I believe David went back to the place of God or to the palace saying, wait a minute, something went wrong and I've got to find out what went wrong. Well, the way I find out what went wrong is I go to the Word. I go to the Word. And so he goes to the, to the Word of God and he asks the scribes and he asks them what's going on. And in 2 Chronicles 15, the Bible uh, teaches us this in verses 1 and 2. David built a house for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of, of God for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to Him forever. This revelation was 
was enormous in his life. In other words, he realized that this ark was not supposed to be carried on the on, uh, by, uh, carried uh, by by God's people in the way the way the world carries its glory. I've got news for you: the glory of this world will fade, and it'll fade quickly on people. How many people are a star one second, and the next minute you don't even know who they are? The glory of this world is a fading thing. It will fade away. And I'm here to tell you, David realized that. And he, as he, he found out, what we need to carry this thing is the people God chose to carry this thing instead of trying to carry the... I'm here to tell you, I believe that the cart and the ox represents how many churches are trying to bring the glory of God into their midst. If I can get what the world has, if we can just do this, if we can have better that, then we're going to bring God's glory. I want you to know the only thing going to bring God's glory is doing it according to the Word of God. And so 1 Peter 2 and 9 is a New Testament principle I want to apply to this Old Testament story which says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I wonder how many in this room and how many at home today are looking and saying, God brought me out of darkness. If He brought you out of some darkness... Take a moment, give him some praise for that. Into his marvelous light. Into his marvelous light. The Bible says that, that in, in 1 Peter, but you're chosen. A royal priesthood. Peter is making, he is raising you to the title of Levi. He's raising you to the title of priest. And look, I, I, I told him earlier, I said, don't turn around and, and say, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. That, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying when we are redeemed by the blood of the Lord, we are raised up to be priests in His army. To be priests to do what? To bear on our shoulders the glory of Jesus. The glory of our God. And I'm here to tell you, anytime a church begins to elevate itself higher than the glory of God, we're asking for destruction and death to come upon us. But when we elevate it the way it's supposed to be, are you following me this morning? Then God receives the glory. David's first attempt failed. He called a committee together. He got the vote by the church and he said, this is the way it needs to go. Ox cart, that's the great way, but we're going to do it with a brand new one. His attempt failed. Even though the majority said, hey, it's a great idea. I got news for you. The majority will send you down a wrong path a lot of times. In other words, we don't need everybody to say it seems good to us to go this way or to go that way. We need to be like the church in Acts. It says it seems good to us in the Holy Ghost. Amen? It seems good to us, but God's glory is going before us. We didn't make this decision based on our own wit or intellect. Or I'm here to tell you, if you're trying to choose a career, young person, don't choose that career without consulting God. If you're trying to choose a college or if you're trying to choose a trade or if you're trying to choose somebody to spend your life with, God forbid you exclude Him from that decision because because it will bring with it death and hurt. Are you following me this morning? In other words, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in its end is the way of death. There's a way it seems right to us sometimes. Anybody ever say, man, this just feels so right, it can't be wrong. Come on. I think I just quoted a song. Anybody. This just feels good. There's no way it could be a wrong. There's no way it could be a sin. How many realize sin feels good? It does. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. But seasons change. How many of you had pleasure in sin and then it left you a bad payday? 
at the end. Come on, we got some truth in this room. There's a payday for that stuff. There's a payday for that stuff. It doesn't come without a price. It doesn't come without a price. Anyway, this way seemed good to David in, in this first attempt, but it failed. David was wrong, and so he consulted the Word for the second attempt, and he wanted to do it God's way. Oh, that we would do it God's way. Number two, say number two. All right, thank you, two of you. Be sensitive to the, to the, to the sacred. We've got to be sensitive to the things that God calls holy. Amen? We don't just walk over the things that God calls holy. If God looks at you and tells you, no, don't walk, don't, don't, don't. I'm warning you with all the love I've got. If God says no to you, don't step around that and do what you want. You're going to bring death and hurt to your life. Be sensitive to the sacred. Don't step, it's sacred when God speaks to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you something else. Some of us don't even realize it. But this right here, this Bible, it's sacred. It's special. It's anointed. The words of God. I can put this Bible in the road and guess what's going to happen to it? It's going to get run over and destroyed. But the words that soak in here, long after the print fades in this Bible, if I lived long enough, to, and maybe I lived and my kids lived and they passed it on to their, maybe this was an heirloom Bible and they just kept passing it on to every generation. And one day, my great, great, great grandkids opened this up and the words of this Bible would fade away. You couldn't even read no words. The ink had faded. I got news for you, just because the ink fades doesn't mean the word has faded. God's word is forever. That's why it's not written on tables of stone but in the heart of man in the heart of man we've got to be sensitive to God's word we've got to be sensitive to the sacred why? because the first parade was filled with fanfare the second was filled with blood mm. notice how the priests traveled after each priest took six steps they sacrificed a bull this happened seven times as recorded in 1 Chronicles 15, 26 and, and 2 Samuel 6, 13. Let's read that. Uh, 1, 1 Chronicles 15, 25, 26 says, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Abinadab and Abinadim, uh, with rejoicing. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. 2 Samuel 6, 13. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, He sacrificed an ox and fattened animal. Don't you think about that. Every six steps, every six steps, everybody, one, two, three, four, five, six... That's six feet, social distancing. Every six feet, every six steps, they sacrificed a bull. So the road, oh, hallelujah, the road to the glory of God was covered in sacrificial blood. I got news for you, church. It's not outdated. It's not old-fashioned. But the blood of Jesus paves the road to the glory of the Lord in your life. The blood that was spilled on Calvary's hill still paves the road of glory in your life. If you want the glory of God to come back to your family, if you want the glory of God to come back to your life, it is paved through the old rugged cross and the blood that was spilled on the road. Oh my goodness. Every few steps. They lived 
a sacrificial life. The road to the glory of God is filled with blood. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says, We enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The second journey of David was not covered with fanfare and worship that drew attention to men or the favor of men. The second attempt to bring the glory of the Lord back to a fallen nation was given through the blood that was spilled. I've got news for you, church. It is through the sanctifying blood of Jesus that the church is going to rise up with authority and power that we can bear forth the glory of God in this hour that we live in. Somebody better praise Him in this house. Mm. At the mention of His name, The first parade, David was dressed as a king because he was acknowledging his military exploits. It was political. (laughs) By the time the second attempt, David grew in his appreciation of God and not the glory that he he, he had as a king over Israel. He refused to wear his royal garments. Instead, he wore the linen ephod as the common priest. The second journey was all about God and not about David because David blended in with the priest. I want you to know something. The Bible says that David went before the Lord or went before the ark of the Lord. And I want to read that real quick. 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. He dressed in the common garment of a priest. And I want you to know it was white linen. That's what it was. But I want you to listen to me. If they're sacrificing animals every six feet, come on. That was not just a clean white gown he was wearing. I believe it was covered in blood. It was poured in blood. And so here the king looks like everybody else. In other words, I got news for you. In the house of God, there is no little you and big me. There is no great and no small. As a matter of fact, we all come equally to the old rugged cross because everyone in this room was headed for hell without the blood of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, the one preaching was headed to hell and in the blood of Jesus, came. So David, here he is, dressed in the linen ephod, covered in blood. And he dances before the Lord in worship with all his might. And the only ones criticizing David was Saul's daughter. She looked from a window and said, is that not the way a king should have behaved? How dare the king behave in such a manner? And I love David's correction. You can read this for yourself later. He corrects her and he's saying, I didn't do that for, for me. I did it because of the glory of the Lord was returning to a lost, lost nation. I'm going to tell you the church has lost something over the years. It's lost the anointing of the Lord many times. And I'm going to tell you the devil's good with us just doing church. He's good with us just trucking on, doing what we always do. But where the devil gets upset is when we allow the glory of the Lord to come into our midst and people start getting saved and people start getting delivered. And people, I'm here to tell you, spiritually speaking, when all of us leave this room, we ought to be covered in the blood. Come on, church. Because I'm going to tell you, there's some things the devil doesn't fear. He doesn't fear your, your, he don't fear your worship. If that's all you're doing is worship and worship. He doesn't fear anything but the blood of Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus in somebody's life that he fears. Why? Because the sanctifying blood of Jesus ushers in the glory of the Lord. Just like the ark was coming back to that fallen nation, the glory of God is returning. Amen. 
to the people of God. We have to sanctify ourselves. Amen? 2 Timothy 2 verse 21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honor, honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying we need to be sanctified and ready to be used of God like never before. The ark of God resided in Abinadad's house for 20 years without any manifestations of power, blessing, or glory. How long will the glory of God remain dominant in our lives? Come on, I have to read this because it uh, God gave this to me. i got to hear this. How long will the glory of God remain dormant and lifeless in our lives because we are unwilling to repent, unwilling to sanctify our minds, unwilling to align ourselves with the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe that this isolation that we've been in, God has been doing something. He has been waking up some hearts to realize that we need the glory of God to show up, not just in the United States, but in the world. I'm here to tell you, the, the world, like I said, it may have shut down because of a virus, but our God never shut down for one moment. God didn't sit on His throne and say, I didn't see that coming. In other words, God didn't cause it either like some have said. Some blame God for it. No, I'll tell you what, what caused it. It happened many thousands of years ago in a place called the Garden of Eden when man ushered in sin and death and sickness into this world and fell from the grace of God. But aren't you thankful the road to our redemption is covered in the blood of the spotless lamb and we are the priest of the Lord? So I'm wondering who's ready to worship with all their might? Who's ready to praise God with all their might? Who's ready to see the glory of the Lord return to their church, return to their lives? and return to their families. With that said, I want us to stand this morning. Our altar call is a little bit different, but that doesn't mean this altar's shut down. That means if you come and pray, you can come and pray if you feel a need to. But if you're going to pray with somebody, if they're not in your household group, we ask that you wear a mask while you pray with them. Amen? So we, we just want to follow what we can. We want to do what's honorable in the sight of God. Amen? Don't want anybody to say we didn't do it the right way. You say, are you afraid of that? No, I'm absolutely not afraid of that. I just believe that we need to, to not be rebellious sometimes in our spirits because sometimes we can be. But today I want you to know God's glory is still a real thing. I have felt the glory of the Lord in groups of people and I have felt the glory of the Lord all by myself. The glory of God is a real thing. And I don't know what you've done with the time that you've had. I really don't. I think some have cherished the time because it finally slowed the world down. How many of us have said before all this hit, oh, if I just had more time? Oh, if I just had some time to myself. Now you're sick of yourself. <laughs> you're tired of talking to you. <laughs> I need some people. How many said... I don't know, in your own heart, I don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many said, I know this, I'm not going to take church for granted again. I'm not going to do it. But when things kind of normalize, let's see if we still feel that way. But I think God, I like what Jensen Franklin said. He said, I believe that the Lord ordered a divine shutdown so that our hearts and our minds could begin to turn to Him again.
And if you were sitting there when I said repent, and you said repent of what? God help us. Because we are far from the glory of God till we're ready to repent. You see, David bore the life of a man on his conscience. Ezra would, would be another name on his conscience. Because don't you know, as a good king, because he was a good king, he thought to himself, oh, if I'd have just took the time to do it the right way, he would be alive with his family today. Heaven and hell is a life and death situation. And this morning, if you need prayer, you're welcome to come to the altar, but you don't have to. And I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment. Once again, we thank you for worshiping with us today. We would love to hear from you. If you were touched in any way by today's message, please let us know. You can find out more about us and even support our ministry with an offering at tryhwc.com. Thank you again for listening. And for